This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai, passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Hello there and thank you for downloading this Eye on Education podcast for the 23rd of June. On the programme today, our focus was the fast approaching school holidays and we asked whether it's okay to take your children out of school early to save money on flights, for example. We spoke to a teacher who thinks it's wrong and we heard from lots of people who were listening to the programme. We were asking whether or not you're taking your children out early, why and whether you were worried about the impact on your child's education. We also spoke to the Ministry of Education about their new attestation strategy for graduates' degree certificates. They're making it more proactive. Dr Samira Almullah told us why and how. And the KHDA are celebrating Dubai's private schools for their efforts to be more inclusive. We spoke to one of their inspectors about what schools are required to do for children of mixed abilities. Nora Al-Sadi joined us on the radio. And we heard from the family of one child of determination who's made UAE history this week. Plus, a group of students are celebrating after becoming some of the first in the country to complete their BTEC qualifications in eSports and games design. We heard from them and we asked gaming insider Philip Ride whether it's really a good idea to study gaming at school. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai, passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Hello there, welcome back to the show. It is time for our weekly edition of Eye on Education here on the Agenda. I'm Georgia Tolley and I'll be here until 1pm. And our hot topic today, as I mentioned in the intro just then, is the fast-approaching school holiday. We're asking you whether it's okay to take your children out of school early to save money, for example, on flights or to, you know, get home early or just to frankly beat the heat. We are going to be hearing from a teacher shortly who thinks it's very much the wrong thing to do. But we do also want to hear from you. Are you leaving early? Get in touch, 4001, or you can message me on 04871 We've had a lot of comments coming in on the uh, WhatsApp groups already, haven't we, Jen? Oh, we have, and on Facebook. Hundreds, hundreds of comments, in fact. Yeah, we put it out there on, the, uh, on social media, and it's fair to say that it provided people with a platform to vent... I would suggest. Yes. Uh, Really enjoying Christina's message here. She says, I'm 35 years old. My parents took me out of school to go on holidays early or just to go on holidays several times. It's still one of the happiest memories from my childhood. I'm very grateful to them that I had this opportunity to travel and I've turned out quite well. My life (laughs) is great and it wasn't affected by missing a week or two from school. Christina arguing for the break. David arguing against bunking off early, he says, to save money is terribly middle class. But that said, teachers and schools are rubbish at running teaching at the end of the summer term. As far as he's concerned, it's just paid for school trips and non-essential assemblies. He's, He's really going out on this, David. This is David's words, not mine. Teachers literally, quotes, do nothing for the last two weeks. ECA's cancelled, library books back on the 16th of June and no homework since then. I really hope it costs a fortune for teachers to fly home for their eight-week break. David. David, what are you doing to yourself? Maybe it's not his real name. I won't read out your phone number, David, because otherwise you might get ritual abuse. Well, um, that certainly set the cat among the pigeons. Feel free to add your own voice to this argument. Personally, 
I came out pretty hard against it during the business breakfast. I suggested that it was wrong for children to be taken out you of school did. early. And? I, I argued quite passionately that it was morally wrong. I think I used the word morally wrong. And? Well, then, well, then Richard <laughs> pointed out that that next week I'm, I'm just pushing my cuticles down to try and distract myself from what I have to say on the radio. Then Richard pointed out that my children weren't going to be in school on Monday. Yes. I'm actually blushing. So you, you were going away on a week's holiday. Very much shot yourself in the foot, yeah. didn't you? So there we go. So I obviously think, there we go. There's my red line. One day, okay. A week, bad. Okay, but at least you have a line. It's, I, I mean, at least I've got a line. At least it's been massively exposed live on the radio. <laughs> My hypocrisy has been writ large. Uh, but yeah, that's where we stand at the moment. So feel free to abuse me. Feel free to abuse David. Uh, Jen, I presume you're not taking any extra days off for, for your boy. I am not. I'm working though. So... I mean, swings around about. If I took him out, it would just be him disaster. sitting in a garden on his own, burning. Just, so um, yes, yeah, that, and that doesn't work. That's yes, true. It's um, no, he will be going to school until the bitter end. Yeah, I mean, mine will be back after Eid. Unlike, as far as I can tell, half the schools, uh, the other school pupils. But we will be coming back to that topic in the next few minutes. We're going to be talking uh, to James from Which School Advisory. We also hear um, from Nick Radbourne, who's a teacher at Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai. Plus, we want to hear from you. As I said again. You can WhatsApp us for free. Just save the number in your phone now, 04871 Now, Jen has joined me not just to throw me to the wolves when it comes to holidays <laughs> off, uh, but also to run through all the news headlines uh, that have been breaking over the last few days when it comes to education. Top one that I've spotted is that uh, the Abu Dhabi Department of Education and Knowledge, they look after private schools in Abu Dhabi. They've announced uh, a six million dirham award to find Abu Dhabi's best schools. How's this going to work? So it's the Abu Dhabi Department of Education and Knowledge's first awards programme to recognise top performing schools in the Emirates and the ADEC awards will be open to public, private and charter schools across the capital. Now the ADEC says they will celebrate achievements innovation and best practice and winners will receive cash prizes of more than six million dirhams to further enhance whatever initiatives are being celebrated at any given school. Now ADEC says that this is about recognising outstanding contributions to their education sector over there in the capital and that it will celebrate both schools and individuals so I'm hoping that that means that we'll see some particularly brilliant teachers being recognised as well as institutions as a whole. That's good news, right? Another big and very positive story is that students of determination are now benefiting from a better inclusive education at Dubai's private schools. And that's because a, a new the results of a new survey have just been uh, uh, just been published, haven't they? That's right. So 146 schools, that's 74% overall in Dubai, have been rated good or better for inclusion provision for students of determination. Now, that's compared to 121 schools during the last full inspection cycle in 2018 to 19 according to the KHDA so it's a really significant uptick and the number of schools rated outstanding for their inclusive education provision has nearly doubled from 7% to 12% so we're going to be hearing much more about that later in the show not only from the KHDA but also from the family of one student of determination who made UAE history this week and who is acting as a very good example of what successful inclusion can do.
Oh, that is intriguing. Looking forward to that uh, shortly after midday. Meanwhile, the UAE's oldest Russian school has welcomed about 100 new pupils since January, with most of them actually hailing from Russia. Now, as you can imagine, this is a a fascinating topic for, for anyone who works in news, mainly because we don't ever really get told the sort of the 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 daily percentages of nationalities who've come into the country. Yes. We all suspect that there's been lots of people that have come in from Russia because we, I mean, frankly, I meet Russian people down at the beach all the time before it got really hot. Um, but we don't have the, the, we don't have sort of actual evidence. We don't have the numbers to prove it, except sort of incidental data like yes. this. And of course, this is not just from Russia, although the majority of pupils arriving have been from Russia itself. But officials at the 27-year-old Russian International School in Dubai say politics is being left very firmly outside the school fence because its classrooms now have close to 500 pupils from 24 countries, not just Russia, but also Ukraine, Belarus, Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan, among others. Those new pupils, particularly those who fled conflict areas, are actually arriving in the country not always having all of the documents that would usually be required for starting school. So the teachers there say that UAE authorities have permitted admission for children who arrive without those documents so that they don't miss the academic year. It's basically effectively what they're saying is that the KHDA has allowed refugees to enrol in the school to make sure that children who are fleeing conflict can still be educated here. That's very good news indeed. Let's take a look now at a new global study that includes the UAE that reveals that more than half of 16 to 25-year-olds around the world wish their school had taught them more about Web3. Hmm. What's yes. Web3? I was I about get to a bit ask confused. you. So Web3 um, is the new AI-enabled internet, she said, sounding yes. certain not necessarily telling the truth. Here we go. Um, I googled it. Web three. <laughs> Web three is oh, it's, it's a series of open source and interconnected, decentralized applications powered by blockchain computing architecture. I'm no clearer. Boom. There we go. Well, I mean, it's, if you don't it's, understand it's the metaverse, those, right? I mean, those are just words. You should definitely be able to understand them. I mean, we work in words. It's an idea for a new iteration of the World Wide Web, which incorporates concepts such as decentralization, blockchain technologies and token based fungible things. <laughs> so not fungible tokens. So clearly it's not just 16 to 25 year olds who <laughs> need to learn more about Web3, but it's, it's basically all of us. So, so it's one of those studies, isn't it, that tells us something that we already know. It's brilliant. It's like, did you know that if you make your wife a cup of tea, she'll be nicer to you for the rest of the day? And you're like, boom. Anyway, sorry. Back to it the also study. tells us what we don't know, I think, which is critical yes. here. We know nothing. We, I think is is the conclusion yeah, of this I'm conversation. Never talking about Web three again without a script. Yes, my son is definitely going to be needing that education because it's certainly not something he's going to be getting from me. Is the lesson of today? But a new study of seven countries, including the UAE, also including the US, UK, India, Nigeria, Singapore, and Brazil, highlights how fast growing use of Web three is and the need for more education resources to ensure that kids and particularly girls are not left behind. 
behind. Now, it's the first global study to measure Gen Z's attitudes towards Web3, and it's found that 52% want their schools to teach them more about the virtual and digital environments in which many of them are already finding themselves when not in class, which in itself is quite a terrifying idea that our kids are hanging around in areas of the internet that we don't understand. So this study conducted by a New York-based business group is the most up-to-date and comprehensive look at how kids in seven countries view their knowledge gaps about the future of Web3. Interesting stuff, right? We are going to be continuing our conversation about whether or not it is, quote, morally right, (laughs) end of quotes, to take your children out of school. Uh, Really loving some of the comments that are coming in. Reem says, I'm not sure any teacher will publicly condone children leaving school early. That said, this specific year, it really is okay to take the kids out. Reem, are you a teacher? Am I am I sneaking into your life there? Uh, meanwhile, uh, Naz knows who to blame. He says it's the travel industry who are at fault, taking advantage of and waiting for schools to finish. For hardworking people to take some summer time off to spend with the family back home, they're increasing the prices drastically and profitability. And profiting. He thinks they're profiteering to the max. Naz, interesting comment today. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai. Passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Hello there. Welcome back to the show. Lovely to have you with us. This is indeed Eye on Education. Right now, I want to tell you all about uh, something that actually happened a few days ago because graduates looking to get their education certificates attested should now find the process much easier going forward because it can all now be done online thanks to efforts by the Ministry of Education to digitise their services. Now, earlier I caught up with Dr Samira Almullah, who is the Director of Certificate Equivalency. There's a department for that at the Ministry of Education. And she explained to me how things had changed. This project will facilitate facilitate the certificate attestation process for the students who are graduating from six universities. These universities are United Arab Emirates University, Zayed University, Khalifa University, University of Sharjah, American University of Sharjah, and Mohammed bin Rashid College of Medicine and Health Science. So in this phase, the students, the whole cohort, the complete cohort who will graduate, We are going to receive all their information through an integration and connection that already took place between these six universities and Ministry of Education. And the moment we are going to receive the full cohort information, we are going to send back attested certificates to the students. So this will be saved in the student digital repository, along with an email congratulating the students on their graduation and uh, with a link to access their attested certificate. Not only that, in light of this initiative, all the students, they are going to receive their attested certificate in the UAE Pass. We successfully did an integration with the UAE National Blockchain, where all these certificates will be available for the students, either within the UAE or if they plan to go and study abroad or work outside the UAE. So I came to the country well after I graduated from university. So I've never had to deal with attestation of certificates. So I'm not sure exactly what it's for. So so what would these attested certificates be used for? Why do they go through this process? Students who graduate from the universities within the UAE, they apply for qualification or certificate attestation. You might hear about the equivalency. That is another service 
for students who graduate from outside the UAE and they want to, you know, do the comparability or recognition of their qualification in the UAE. We always hear there is a confusion between the recognition and attestation. So attestation is related to attesting or certifying that these certificates are authentic for students who studied within the UAE in higher education in universities and Ministry of Education attests the genuinity of that certificates. So this service is related to attestation of certificates issued within the UAE. Uh, unlike before where the students used to apply for this service, this service took from three to five days. It will take to complete. After the announcement of the new initiative, the complete cohort will get their attested certificate in less than one hour. So this is the main difference, you know, in the time that is required. And this service now, it will be proactive. Students will not request for such service. It is granted for them. As far as they studied within the UAE and UAE licensed universities, then they are going to get this certificate attested. And then they can take that certificate and everyone will know that it's genuine because of the process it's been through. And then they can go to their various employers and show it off and say, look, and here it is. And that will work internationally as well. Now, you mentioned that so far six universities have joined you in this strategy. Are you hoping to expand that to more universities here in the UAE? Yes, definitely. The ultimate goal is to cover all the higher education institutes or universities licensed by Ministry of Education, which are around 72 or 73 uh, universities. So this, inshallah, we we are hoping to achieve that within 2024. So by 2024, we are going to cover all the universities and uh, the attestation will be, inshallah, automated attestation for certificates of students graduating from MOE licensed universities. So what was the principal aim behind introducing this automatic attestation process? As you know that the students are the priority for Ministry of Education. And if we are providing this service and according to the UAE government service promise, we have to go into the direction of proactive services. So the the main aim of this initiative is to facilitate the student's journey. And around 11,000 students will benefit from this initiative. Dr. Samira Al-Mullah there, who is Director of the Certificate Equivalency Department at the Ministry of Education, joining us to talk about their latest initiative. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai, passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Hello there, welcome back to the show. Let's talk about skipping school, shall we? Because I don't know whether it's the same in your friendship group, but pretty much everyone I know is leaving this weekend forever, as in for the whole summer. They're not coming back till the end of August when the school term starts. And that means they're missing an entire week of school. An entire week of school. And I mean, maybe... Maybe it's because I can't, because I've got a job, so I need to come in every day. You know, I can't exactly work from home on the radio. But I'm going to keep my children in until the very bitter end. They will be there on the 7th of July as the school gates close. I might even be a little bit late picking them up. Actually, my husband does the school run on Fridays. But yeah, I mean, my my view is that genuinely children should be in school whenever there is school available. Now, 
Before I get on my moral high horse on this one, uh, Richard Dean pointed out this morning that my children won't be going to school on Monday because I have decided to take that off in order to get a full week away. Um, so, you know, I'm not I'm not standing in judgment here, but I but but that clearly is where my line is. I, I'll take them out for a day, but I'm not taking them out for for a whole week. Um, would you? Are you leaving early? Uh, why? And are you worried about the impact that that might have on your child's education? Please do get in touch, 4001, or you can message me on 04871 Now, a little bit earlier, the Business Breakfast actually spoke to James Mullen. He's the founder of Which School Advisor. And he said he basically took the temperature of what's going on out there. And he said that the UAE exodus is categorically already underway. It's actually it's quite striking because I was speaking to a school today. I was supposed to go and do some work with them. And they said, don't bother because we have 45% of our students have left this week. What? 45%. And then I was speaking to one of the leading um, not-for-profit schools here as well in Dubai. They're, down, they're expecting to be down by around about 20%, possibly, possibly more. So, yes, the big exodus has begun. 45% have already gone. I mean, that's just staggering. But uh, James Mullen said not everyone boarding a flight next week is actually breaking the rules. Some schools are actually, their last day will be Monday, but they're a very small minority. The majority of schools will be back the following week because they're, they're obliged to be at school for, I think it's around about 180 days, KHDA mandates. But they're given a little bit of leeway as to how they actually take that. The teachers are saying that they're actually going to be working quite hard, obviously preparing for the new term because they're coming back on the 28th of August. So it's not a very long holiday, actually, for them this year. James, I'm afraid there's people getting in touch with you on that point. They think that they're getting a very long holiday indeed. Around eight weeks for a teacher uh, seems to be pretty lengthy. I mean, I know that's the deal and they work very hard uh, during term time. Uh, And of course, this year is something of a special case because we've got this Eid al-Adha holiday following so close to the summer holidays, meaning that when the kids do come back, they're only going to be back for about five days before that long summer break begins. So I suppose you could argue that surely it's not a big deal for them to miss just a day or two or five or six or if they left this week, eight. Now, in the past, that's a question I put to Nicholas Radbourne, who's Director of Studies for the Senior School at Royal, Royal Grammar School at Guildford, Dubai. And I have to say, he had a pretty low view of it. Everywhere I've taught, we've pushed the children to make sure they understand 100% attendance is the only way to go, because if they're not in school, they're not learning. And that's what it comes down to. And I think that's, that's the scary bit. I don't think parents always understand that. I think that's one of the crucial problems that um, but we don't educate them very well actually and I think that conversation needs to happen between the school and the parents about why it's so crucial that their children are in school so they're actually learning and not being taken out early and it's often the cost of traveling especially when you're working abroad and it's you want to go home see the family and you've got a family of four and you've got to fly back and there's an understandable well I'll take them out early because it's it's cheaper I you know there's those sort of balances but they're forgetting the long-term effect it's going to have on the child if they are missing that much time 
Now, Helen has got in touch on 4001. She says that this year, for the first time, I offered my children to leave early at Eid, but my year eight daughter was adamant that she wants to spend the last few days at school as they are the most fun. Now, Nicholas Radbourne supports that. He said the idea that children don't learn anything in the final days of term is entirely wrong. The last weeks are some of the best times. We tend to do things like week without walls in the last week of school to do something completely different take them out of their normal kind of everyday, you know, maths, English, science, whatever, and actually do a far more exciting, creative enterprise week, leadership stuff, all those sort of things that you don't get the chance to do for the rest of the year. And it's those sort of bonding experiences that children get at that time. You have the, you have the space and the time because you've done all the, you've done all the tough bits, you've done the assessments towards the end of the year, and you've got this sudden, this freedom to be able to do that. They're celebrating each other. I mean, our celebration assemblies in the last week of term are some of the most exciting and fabulous bits. And I think you really miss out if if you're missing those sort of times. That is Nicholas Radbourne, Director of Studies for the Senior School at the Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai. Food for thought. We've got plenty more food for that thought because we've been doing some serious research online overnight. We're going to come back to that in just a few minutes. But it's fair to say that the parents we've spoken to are taking, shall we say, a very mixed approach. Quite a lot of passion involved in this discussion, especially when you start saying things like maybe it's morally wrong to take your children out for a long while. And Nell's got in touch saying my son goes to, uh, I'm going to miss the school out actually, but um, they've asked parents whether their children will be attending the last week of school. And Nell says we've decided this year he won't be. Technically, we're in the country and not traveling anywhere. But since most of his classmates won't be there and generally nothing is taught in the final weeks and days, we're going to keep it at ho- him at home. Interesting stuff. Uh, Abdul Majid says uh, Nicholas Radbourne's comments are surprising. They only learn in school. He thinks life experiences are just as important. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai. Passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Hello there. Welcome back to the programme. We are discussing whether or not it's appropriate to take your children out of school early, even if it is the Eid holidays and even if it is very hot. And even if it is a fact that flights get very expensive once the school term ends, there are still teachers who say that it is absolutely beyond the pale to take your children out early. Now, what do you think about this? Please do get in touch, 4001, or you can WhatsApp me on 04871 They're coming in thick and fast, but we also took this issue to social media. Jennifer Crichton was put oh, yes. in charge of this task and has therefore joined us to give us a little bit of an update on the, um, the experience that you've had over the last 24 hours. I think my husband was at one point last night quite close to divorcing me. I was trying to figure out how to stop my phone buzzing with every update because we had hundreds of responses. We asked on a number of different groups and opinions were very mixed indeed. Now, specifically on groups like British expats Dubai and British mums, high prices for flights home were getting the most mentions. It seems flights to the UK are particularly expensive after the start of the holidays this year and that's leading many to leave early just to save some cash whether they want to or not. In fact, Donna told us she was going away in the middle of the two breaks to coincide with what she called the dip in flight prices between Eid and the end of term. If the airlines didn't mess with the fares so much, we'd stay but it was over 3,000 dirhams difference, she told me. Now, on the more international groups 
groups that we asked, flights didn't seem to be quite as much of a concern. But some people said they were taking advantage of the proximity between Eid and the summer to travel early, not because of cost, but because it was a far better than usual opportunity to celebrate the holiday with family and to not have to travel twice. And of course, that's because the way the holidays are falling means parents need far less leave than usual to be able to fly early this year. There was, however, a significant contingent of parents saying that they're staying until the bitter end. Like me. Like us. And they're looking forward to those quieter roads on the school run. You've always got to find a silver lining, haven't you? And the traffic appears to be the key silver lining. People talking about how much nicer it will be to not have to hit the traffic jams and the crazy busy school car parks. Layla told me her family would be staying until the last day. Crazy school fees mean school Every day. I'm sad for the kids this year, though, as I don't think the fun last week of term will be as much fun in our school because so many more people are leaving early. And on that note, I mean, we've heard a few teachers today saying you should never take your kids out of school. Never, never, never. But Sandy said, I'm a teacher and my kids will be in until the sevens because I'm a teacher. But I'd take them out today if I could. It's too hot. Indoor play is hard. And the children are all exhausted. Oh my goodness. I mean, this person's just texted in saying the school year is over, grades are in and there's nothing but daycare going on. There's no point of having the kids in, period. Teachers just need the justification. That's why you've got teachers saying you shouldn't miss days. Interesting comment. Please do keep them coming. But there were loads online, weren't there? There's so many. But I mean, on that, saying it's nothing but daycare... Even that daycare for working parents is very important. And there were so many of the parents last night going, but I work. I still have to work. I still need my kids to go to school because I still need to work. And I think, you know, often we neglect that kind of childcare aspect of things in in schools. And there's an assumption that, that parents can just be there or that there's a nanny or there's someone to take care of the kids. But for so many families now, that's not the case. You've got two working parents And the kids need to be somewhere. Yeah, it's fair enough. I mean, for those parents who are arguing that they can take them away and that it doesn't damage their education, I have to say, I don't know whether they're right. I think I think kids are learning right until the very end. They're learning, even if they are just making, you know, with the younger ones, even if they are just making models out of loo rolls and uh, (laughs) silver foil, you know, rocket ships. I still think that they're they're learning and experiencing and growing and far more than they would be, you know, at home where they probably end up sitting in front of a screen for at least part of the day because I'm at work. Exactly. And I think especially, as you say, if you're at work and your kids aren't getting that sort of stimulation. But I mean, the, the last days of school, I always remember so fondly. But I, what I'm noticing with these comments so often is that our own opinions are tied to our parents' opinions. I think this is one of those ones that gets handed down. If you were a kid who was there on the last day of school, which I always was, I I wasn't allowed to miss a day of school unless oh, yeah, I was some in. body part was falling off. Oh yeah, literally. It's like your arm is your arm still connected to your body? Well, you're then, going in. You're going in. That's it. Interesting message here just come in saying a COVID isolation from school had a bigger impact on my children than this week off. Let's not forget children are travelling to school in 40 degree heat. It's more important that my children spend time and bond with their family than a week of parties. Schools should have got together last year and discussed with the KHDA extending 
extending a week holiday as it is a one-off special case and that would have made sense. I have to say, I don't know who you are, who you are what your name is, but you are making sense with that. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai, passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Hello there, welcome back to Eye on Education. Welcome back to the Agenda. Lovely to have you with us. I'm also very much enjoying all the messages that are coming in. Lots of people on the school run texting in. Uh, One person here says, I've just driven into the school car park. Zero traffic coming in or getting into the out of the school. Car park half empty. The same this morning. School run like this is such a pleasure. So some people enjoying the fact that half of the country seems to have already left. Uh, Others saying that their children will be in school until the bitter end. Please do keep your comments coming. But if you were listening to the show yesterday, you'll have heard that we were live from the Game Expo Summit uh, that was taking place in the Dubai Exhibition Centre at Expo City Dubai. Now, that eSports festival is ongoing there. But this particular event brought together more than a thousand industry experts and enthusiasts to discuss the latest trends, to share insights and to get business done. Many of those attending were very young indeed. I kept on saying on air that there were a lot of cool cats walking around. And in fact, some were students celebrating finishing school um, and they were also there to network with industry insiders, basically trying to get internships. And one particular group of Dubai pupils were there because they're the first in the country to be offered the chance to study esports and games design qualifications at a BTEC level. Now, my kids would love that. They're 10 and 9, so they're not quite at that stage, the BTEC stage. But is it something that you'd want your children to learn at school? Because I'm not sure I would. Well, uh, you might change your mind after you've heard from some of the pupils. First up, we've got Alaya Almarzuki. She's the first Emirati female school pupil to embark on this course. And it's fair to say she's enthusiastic about it. Producer Jennifer Crichton caught up with her at the show yesterday. I mean, I've always liked playing games when I was younger and I've always had that artistic aspect and I wanted to combine both of them in game design and I thought esports would bring in that business aspect of gaming and it just really interested me. Now, as we heard, you're the first young Emirati female to study these courses. Did that concern you at all? Does it feel good to be kind of breaking new ground? How does it feel to be the first? I mean, it feels quite good. You know, I can teach the younger generation that, you know, game design isn't just a one-way path. There's lots of opportunities and hopefully what I'm doing kind of breaks that sort of scenario for people to take it after me. I think a lot of parents have perhaps some preconceived notions about gaming, that it's very male, that it's a little antisocial, that it's not necessarily the healthiest hobby. And of course, pursuing it in an educational setting is a good way to to change that perception. What do you think that more parents should understand about gaming as it stands today? I think they, they need to consider what opportunities lie after school because even me right now, I've gotten so many opportunities to reach out to different people, different companies and, you know, having that positivity of knowing that anyone can take game design and esports really helped me continue. Is it something you see yourself potentially doing as a career then in the future? Oh, definitely. I want to continue to pursue game design in the future. I think it'd be good for me to enter that world because I want to break that stereotype of it being male-dominated. I think 
me taking the first step will lead to many others continuing. And lastly, what do your parents think about you doing these courses? Oh, they're, they're quite happy with me taking it. As long as I'm happy and I can pursue a good future, that's all that matters. Jen also caught up with Rory, who's just graduated uh, from his BTEC course and is now heading to university to study games design. So I have completed the game design course. been doing it for two years and it was really good. First of all, my teacher, Mr. Bradbury, he really helped a lot. And the teamwork skills that you learn in it as well and the creativity, the design, it it really helps you grow as a person because you learn so many different skills through it. But, Did yeah. you pick the course because of a personal interest, because it's something you see as a potential future career, or a bit of both? Uh, yeah, it's a bit of both. Because I grew up playing video games. I've been playing them since I was like four or five. I'm 18 now, so it's been a long time. Something I've always been interested in, the behind the scenes of everything. And even for career-wise, because during, I think it was 2021 and 2020, Gaming was the biggest entertainment source, I think, worldwide. So it's looking like it's got a bright future in places like the UAE, Saudi, Middle East. They're all investing into it. So it's a gamble that I'm taking, but I think it's going to be okay. Well, are you going to university to study this now? What yeah. comes next for you? Yeah, go on university to study it as well. Because even if it doesn't work out, I still learn a lot of important skills that can be used elsewhere in other industries. So I applied to UK and here, but I'd rather stay here because it suits my kind of lifestyle more. And I've been here for years. And, and on that basis i mean do you think you would have had the opportunity to learn sort of gaming design and thing at this sort of level were you elsewhere do you think the uae is is potentially sort of giving you opportunities that you might not have had at home oh no if i'd have said in ireland i wouldn't been doing this no it's definitely much better opportunities out here in uae middle east much better and our third student, Dylan Morrison's story, talked us through the courses that he'd chosen to take and what he sees in his future. So I chose BTEC Game Design and Esports. Um, I chose to do these courses because I wanted to explore the, um, it's an expanding industry and I wanted to sort of be the first person there. And I, I sort of it linked with my personal, like what I enjoy in life. I'd like to explore designing games as a career and then f- maybe further along like in my life, maybe opening an, an esports business and expanding into that industry as well. And how did you feel the course equipped you for potentially looking into that more in the future? Yeah, I feel the skills that they taught us and how they taught us like what to do in the industry, I feel like that's going to be so important um, in the next coming years as well. But yeah, I think it's very good. How big a role do you think having completed these courses played and you being accepted to a number of, of courses? Yeah, I think it's a big role because we're, we're sort of the only students that have done a BTEC in game design. I feel like it's a big thing to sort of say we have over other people that are applying. I feel like it definitely played a part in having these opportunities now. So I have to say, before I heard those three interviews that Jen did with the three students who finished their BTECs, I was a bit like, you've got to be joking. A BTEC in esports, a BTEC in gaming. Surely they just sit around and all they do is play video games all day. So we did actually catch up with their teacher, Baz Nijar. Now, he's the principal advisor on education technology at GEMS. And he said, although parents initially were hesitant about letting their children take these courses, they could now see the value. First of all, it was just raising the awareness of what the qualification entails. Because within the qualification, they learn about event management, business, entrepreneurship, well-being, diet and nutrition, because this all links into the esports world and the professional esports players, but there's a lot of transferable skills and transferable knowledge you can take to other industries. Esports is a segment of gaming, and gaming is you know, one of the biggest industries in the world. It's bigger than movies and music combined because of the interactions they have with the number of players that play you know, in different types of games. 
Baz Najjar there, who's uh, the teacher of those three students that you just heard. Now, I'd be very interested to know uh, whether that little segment on the radio has changed your view about whether or not children should study esports at school. I have to admit, it slightly changed mine, just a little bit. I still think I'd probably prefer the kids to do, I don't know, politics and economics and maths or maybe study sciences because then they can become a doctor. But, you know, it's out there as an option and certainly it is a multi-billion dirham industry we certainly learned all about that at the game expo summit yesterday plenty of money to be made there so maybe it's a good idea for them to go into business this is eye on education on the agenda with the royal grammar school guildford dubai passionate about creating personalized learning experiences to nurture independent and future ready young people hello there lovely to have you back with us you're listening to eye on education here on the agenda and uh, off the back of of the fact that children in Dubai have become some of the first in the world to study both esports and game design qualifications at a BTEC level. We're asking whether or not that's something that you would want your child to study at school. Lots of really interesting comments uh, coming in on the text. Hang on a sec, I'm just going to load this one. It says here, my brother studied game design BTEC at college over 10 years ago and went on to study it at university in Sheffield. He walked straight into a job after university during the height of unemployment and now earns at least triple the salary of a doctor. Well, that puts it all into perspective a little bit, doesn't it? Goodness me. I was about to say that I don't really want my children to go into that, that I'd prefer them to be in a doctor or an accountant or a lawyer or an architect, one of those nice professions that we all understand. But maybe I'm getting it wrong. Let's get advice from one of our favourite gaming insiders, Philip Bride. He's the author of Watch Us Play, a practical guide to managing children's game time and improving their math skills. But he also worked for a long time in the gaming industry and indeed still does right here in the UAE. Uh, Philip, how are you doing? Thanks for joining me on the line. What do you think of these BTEC qualifications in esports and games design? Georgia, great to be back. I think it's a great question to start with. You know, if we think where education is going and where the industry as a whole is going, and I, and I say industry, I mean game development, esports, everything that is tied to to gaming as, as an entertainment form, having those courses in place enables two things, okay? It enables the structure that students get from having you know, a dedicated course and in an environment where they can learn, whether that's a college, a university, a high school. And it also gives them the opportunity to get some practical skills of these specialisms. So if it's game design, the nature of the course means that you have to go and learn some of the tools that you would use in the industry. If you're doing esports, you have to think about planning an event and then maybe going executing one on campus. You know, for me, when I started, you know, back in 2001 in the esports space, there were no courses. I had to learn by doing and going to events and volunteering and, and everything else. So now that we've got courses, it actually enables students to speed up that process of understanding how parts of the industry work, getting those practical skills that they can take with them, enabling them to create portfolios of work that ultimately, yes, serves them in trying to get a job. So in media, there's a bit of a, um, I suppose it's a bit, on one level there's a snobbery to it, but I think it is factual that on one, that, that people say that you shouldn't actually, if you want to go and work on the radio like, like I am now, 
that actually you shouldn't just go and study media at university. That in fact, what's important if you ha- is that you have a breadth of knowledge and then you gradually specialise as you sort of move up the tree. So after university, I did English Lit at university and afterwards I then went and did a postgrad in broadcast journalism. I still then had to work my way up from, you know, work experience, earning nothing for about 20 years and then earning a little bit for the next 20. Um, but the general gist was that, that you, you know, that breadth of knowledge was important. Do you think that maybe by specialising in these things very early in your career, literally at 16, maybe you're taking it too soon? You're, you know, you're, you're narrowing down your focus too soon. So the way that I would look at it is, getting a general understanding of the way that the industry works, whether that's you know game development and the, the different types of roles and the specialisms or it's esports. I think having that general base knowledge and understanding of the industry is good. Specializing enables you to focus. You know, if you stay broad and generalized, yes, you will get so far for a particular role, you may get some experience doing it. But if you don't specialize, then and you, it's like, OK, well, where are you going? At what point do you make that decision to say this is something I want to focus on? So for me in the work that I've done, can I do events? Yes, because that's what I focused on. Can I manage a broadcast? No, because that's not the specialism that I focused on. So I have an understanding of it, but I then pull in people who are specialists to help me with that side of events in the industry. So I think if you have an appreciation of how the industry works and the types of roles and are then supported in looking at, okay, well, what what makes sense for you? You know, if you're somebody creative, is that character design, game design, level design in the game development space? If it's esports, okay, graphic design, doing social media content, okay, maybe there's that aspect that you look at if you're somebody who's into, you know, creative design and, and being, I guess, influential when it comes to using artwork and, and elements like that. Obviously, there are lots of other roles in the industry as well, but I think if you can specialize early on, it enables you to get more experience more quickly in that specialism so that you can move up the ladder at a faster rate. Now, you've just spent the last few days at the Dubai Gaming and Esports Festival. It's it's ongoing. And I know that there was a, a big Minecraft competition over the last week. But, but also, you've got a very good overview of, of how the ecosystem is developing. Do you think that the skill set is being learnt by children in schools? Do you think the skill set is going to be there when they all graduate in order to capitalise on this incredible market? I've just looked up the number. The gaming market is going to is currently worth $550 billion, growing at nearly 15% a year to 2030. So, I mean, it it's mega money, isn't it? I, and, and I know that the UAE is keen to grab a slice of that pie. Are we educating our children in the right way for them to be able to, to grasp that? I think we're starting to. So actually, you mentioned the festival that's going on at the minute, the Dubai Esports and Games Festival. Yes, there's been a Minecraft competition. But on the day before that, uh, on the Wednesday, I had the, the privilege to manage an award ceremony for a coding competition 
And this has been running for the past month. Students have been creating games on the theme of sustainability. They submitted them to a judging process. And then on stage at the festival, we had uh, the award ceremony. So these were students sort of 11, 12, 13 years old who were creating games supported uh, by teaching staff. So those students now have an appreciation of what's involved in creating a game. They've got to grips with one specific coding platform that was used as part of that competition. So are they now in a position to, to take that forward if they want to and maybe start to, to learn other coding languages that may be used in game development or actually in general software development? Does that mean that they're going to be in a better position to get a job when they come out of school? Quite possibly. So I think there, there are things happening within the school system and the education system here in the UAE that are supporting, I guess, the skills that students need if they want to go and get jobs within different types of industries. Esports, yes, is, is another one and students have been competing in competitions. But they've also then started to see the organizational side of that, you know, having to set up qualifiers in schools to find a school champion who will go and represent the school. OK, so there's then a process internally at a school of how do we set up a qualifier? How do we get students to participate? What are the rules? Um, so that's you know more on the esports side than game development. But yes, there are things starting to happen in schools here in the UAE that are supporting the development of that, you know, that skill set that is going to be useful for them moving forward. Philip, always great to speak to you. I suppose on one level, you also just have to embrace what your children love uh, because that is what captures their imagination. Philip Ride there, author of Watch Us Play, a practical guide to managing children's game time and helping them improve their math skills. He's our games insider. Great to have you on the radio as always, Philip. Thank you very much indeed. I'm really loving all your messages that are coming in. Uh, Lou was the one who wrote in earlier saying her brother studied game design at college and now earns triple the salary of a doctor. Sharon's just written in on WhatsApp, 04871 saying don't forget that thanks to AI, many of those traditional safe, high-paying jobs like lawyers, accountants and journalists, not that high-paying, won't exist in our children's future. Instead, the well-paying jobs will be either the jobs that computers can't do, you know, trades like plumbers or electricians, or obviously all of those tech-orientated jobs that don't exist yet. By keeping children away from gaming and tech, we are in some ways holding them back from learning the skills they'll need and even potentially putting them at disadvantage to their peers who are already engrossed in the tech world. Sharon, my children salute you uh, because you've just slightly moved my mind on, in fact, Philip Ride does it all the time. Every time I do this topic on the radio, my children are allowed a little bit more game time and they love it. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai. Passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Hey, uh, welcome back to the show. Let's discuss inclusion in schools now because the inspection results are out. And the good news is that almost three quarters of Dubai private schools have been ranked good or better for their provisions for pupils with disabilities. Now, the league tables created by the Knowledge and Human Development Authority, which is the Emirates private education regulator, and their inspectors looked at 199 schools on the inclusive education programmes that they offered. This was for the 2022 to 23 academic year. And in 
intriguingly, that actually was the first set of inspections since before COVID. So there's been a real gap. Um, so it's interesting to know how those inspections went. We wanted to find out more. So a little earlier, I spoke to Nora Al-Sadi. She is the school's inspector, or one of them, at the Knowledge and Human Development Authority. And I asked her to outline their findings. Recent inspection results tell us clearly that the quality of education provided to students of determination has been improving over time, with 74% of our schools this year providing good or better provision in inclusive education. This compares to less than half in the past. Um, This year, the number of schools judged as outstanding in this area is the highest it has ever been. PhD has always been committed to the pursuit of excellent education for every child. We now have thousands more students of determination attending our schools. And that's not only a number. We now have a huge diversity of needs represented in these schools compared to a rather narrow range of lower level needs previously. Tell me, what are the principles that schools in Dubai are required to follow in order to do well in your inspections? The key principle is equity. Students of determination should receive what they need to access and experience the same quality of education as all other students across schools. This underpins the approach of inclusive education. We've also produced a range of guidance, directives and initiatives to drive this agenda and our annual inspections continue to be a key enabler. Do all schools here have to offer places to children of all abilities? Yes, all schools are required to operate an inclusive admission policy, enabling a diversity of students in the school's population. For students of determination, the assessment process cannot be a pass or fail test. It should be a process that provides information uh, to build appropriate support and education provision to enable successful admission and progression through the school. Um, On the rare occasion where a student of determination is not provided a school placement, schools must complete and submit a non-admission notification form to KHDA for monitoring and review purposes. Is there educational thinking behind that, that it's better for all children to be taught together regardless of their ability? International research consistently show us that inclusive classrooms, or more specifically, common learning environments where all students are enabled to collaborate and learn together are the most effective education contexts. However, every student requires a system of support to access learning and thrive. In some cases, this may mean access to enhanced learning pathways, alternative programs, modified tasks, as well as specific support strategies. So does that mean that either teachers or parents need to make extra provisions for children who might struggle to keep up? And in some ways, I semi know the answer to this question, because there are several children in my son's classes who have teaching assistants on hand in order to to help them access the education. All schools are required to provide systems of support to their students. Um, This could include, uh, for instance, enhanced learning pathways, additional support from specialists, uh, alternative curricular curricular programs, as well as uh, specialist provision for students, specifically with more complex needs. um, And these are particular areas of focus for KHDA. 
Really interesting to hear there from Nora Al-Sadi, who's a schools inspector at the Knowledge and Human Development Authority. And that's off the back of that report, which shows that uh, nearly three quarters of Dubai private schools have been ranked good or better for their provisions for pupils with disabilities. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai. Hello there, good to have you back with us. Just 15 minutes left of the programme today, but a really interesting interview to listen to first because before the break, we were actually hearing about the KHDA's progress in inclusive education. But what does that inclusivity actually look like for the families of children of determination here? Well, the benefits of inclusion have been clearer than ever in the UAE this week because the country's delegation to the Special Olympics in Berlin has been on something of a medals streak. In fact, the team has picked up no less than nine gold 10 silver and 20 bronze medals in Berlin since the start of the Games. And 17-year-old Josie McIntyre made history on Monday, picking up the team's first gold medal in hoop. Now, a little earlier, producer Jennifer Crichton caught up with Josie's parents, Claire and Rick, and she began by asking them about their daughter's success. Josie McIntyre has many attributes, but she also was born with an additional chromosome. So she has trisomy 21, better known as Down syndrome. We had Josie 17 years ago in Dubai and we could not have dreamt 17 years later that we would be representing the UAE in the Special Olympics in Berlin where not only is she represented the country that she calls home, she came away with a gold medal. So we're, we're just absolutely over the moon. It's an unbelievably proud thing, but the, there's been a heck of a journey. Josie <laughs> does gymnastics, and, and she's been doing it for about five years. She's That's her second Special Olympics. The first one was four years ago in Abu Dhabi, which was an unbelievably successful thing. And then once you've been once, it's something you... Quite but, addictive. Yeah, it's an, it's an unbelievable, emotional, beautiful thing that it's hard to believe until you experience it. You know, ha- us having this opportunity is is life-changing, not just for Josie, but for us as a family. You know, when you come along as a parent, a Special Olympics, you're with your tribe. Everyone here understands the journey that we've been on. We understand their journey, and it's a very, very special event. You witness a young person who's having their best 10 minutes of their life and then you you look in the crowd and you you can't help but spot their parent or their brother or their sister having their best 10 minutes of their life and it's right in front of you and you see it it's tangible it's, yeah. and then the whole crowd go on that ride with them it's incredible it's been an incredible few days yeah. and correct me if i'm wrong Josie's medal is the UAE's first gold so you're not just having the best 10 minutes of your life but you're actually sort of making <laughs> history What's it like as a parent to watch that happening? It was a big moment. It was a big moment. And we didn't expect it. We don't know. The coaches, we think, knew. Um, So they had the the list and they were aware. But we were completely unaware. And then, yeah, she came out. And Jose was standing in the middle behind the gold podium. And we were just blown away. It was one of those moments. And so she's obviously delighted and, and proud and but the kid that came third or fourth or fifth or whatever in yeah. that category still has that incredibly special moment everyone's been made to feel 
very special. Yeah, I think for the athletes, they don't mind what level of medal they've got. It's just their moment up on the podium and the crowd goes wild. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we're all screaming nuts. and cheering for every single one. And I mean, on that level of support, tell me a bit about what doing gymnastics, competing has done for Josie. How have you seen it help her sort of blossom as a young woman? Josie didn't cope particularly well during the pandemic. She got quite down. She got had eye anxiety. She didn't want to leave the house, which didn't help that the whole world was telling you how many people died each day. So she really did close in and close down to the point that she stopped talking and she held her head down all the time. Like if we went out in the mall, she would walk with her head down. She wouldn't want people to see her and she didn't want to engage with anyone. And then once the pandemic was lifting, we went straight back to all those activities that we did pre-pandemic and the support that she gets from the people who run these amazing clubs in Dubai. We are so privileged to have so much access to sport for people of determination. There are so many amazing groups out there. One of the groups that Josie's been part of is one called Touch, where volunteers work one-to-one with a person of determination on a range of sports. Josie did, did a little bit of squash. It wasn't her forte, but she does CrossFit with Touch and she has this lovely lady called Amani who's paired up with Joe. And Joe just loves going every Sunday. She goes along to that. Then the gymnastics team, we're part of WellFit and Aspired. And our coach, Sarah, she's been with working with Josie for like the last five years. And Sarah's as emotional, um, connected to Josie as as we are in lots of ways and when you see Josie competing Sarah is a bag of nerves she's so proud of all the girls and their achievements and just Josie participating in all these different groups has made her blossom again and we feel that we've got the Josie back that we had pre-pandemic where she's talking again she's engaging again you know she could not have been more proud of walking around that hotel with her medals just having the time of her life. Earlier on the show, we had someone from the KHDA on talking about the work that's being done in the UAE to make schools and the education system more inclusive to children of determination. Is that something that you've seen the effects of? And what difference does it make to families like yours to see it being such a priority? It's massive. The UAE is a, is, is a leader in that. And we've experienced nothing but positivity and we've seen the opportunities double and triple and quadruple for Josie and the schooling in Dubai it's come an awful long way and it's part of the national agenda of of inclusion I'm proud to come from Dubai and be be part of that journey Dubai and and the UAE have got a lot to teach other countries it's incredible yeah I I think that you know even just with our journey you know it was hard for us to find a school place for Josie mainstream school place Um, And we did find one and she absolutely flourished in that school. She stayed there until she went to secondary school and then we moved over to Dubai Centre for Special Needs, which has just been perfect for Josie as well. But I think when you do any reading on successful inclusion and, and inclusive environments, it has to come from the top down. And the national agenda putting people of determination at the forefront and their rights to be included in a society 
it makes all the difference. When the leader of the country believes it, then the whole country will believe it. And we just feel so honoured that we <laughs> we happened to, you know, go to the UAE 20 years ago. We couldn't have dreamt of the future that the UAE has allowed Josie to have there. You know, the, the opportunities we are given or she is given, I feel are better than in our home countries. Gosh, it doesn't get much better than that. Amazing to hear there from Josie McIntyre's parents, Claire and Rick, describing how it feels for her to have won that gold medal. In fact, it is the first gold medal that the UAE has won in the Special Olympics that's currently taking place in Berlin. Really lovely messages coming through. Ronnie, thank you for yours, saying this is the best interview ever. Go Josie, making the UAE proud. Really fantastic story there, producer Jennifer Crichton, uh, who caught up with Josie parents Claire and Rick earlier this week. And that's all from the Eye on Education podcast for this week. Make sure you tune in every Friday from 11am to catch up on the latest education headlines.